Well, good morning, Good Shepherd, and happy Easter. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and I know a lot of you are live in our worship center. Others of you are live stream, and there's a whole lot of people also in our K-Zone area, which is on campus, but still a virtual experience. And a lot of them have chosen to worship in there so that you could have a seat in here. And uh, so however you're connected with us today, really glad that, that you've joined us for Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is also the concluding Sunday of this series called He Is. And this series comes from this understanding that you will never understand who you are until you discover who he is. And so we've been looking over the last several weeks at some of the things that Jesus says about Jesus. And today, the message is called All Rise, and it comes from the Gospel of John chapter 11. So if you have your Bible with you, either in a form that looks like mine, looks like a book, even though it's a library, or it's loaded on your phone, go ahead and find John chapter 11, starting at verse 17. And if you don't have your Bible with you, and your phone has too many apps already, and you hadn't found the way to put a Bible app on it yet, uh, we, we need to be in prayer right now. But if that's the case... That's the case. The words are going to be up on the screen at, at the right time, as they always are. And as you're locating that place, just want to let you know something that we believe about the Bible at this church. You, you may not know, or you may know very well, but we, we don't worship the Bible, but we love it. And the reason we love the Bible at Good Shepherd is because we believe that when you learn to love the Bible, that helps you to adore the Savior, and we do worship Him. And so it's out of that conviction that we love the scripture and we really believe it is inspired by God that when we talk about the Bible here, we lift it up in this place. And if you've never been here before and you're seeing phones and Bibles in the air and you're like, whoa, that's different. You know what we say? It is. We, it's strange. We admit it. But this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community we are a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. Because we know he does, we surrender it to his authority as he's revealed it in his will. Amen? In his word. Amen? So before I say anything else, let's pray. So Lord, thank you for the goodness of your word and thank you for the sweetness of your Holy Spirit and, and his presence among us. And I just pray that you would give a fresh pouring out on me as I deliver this message, and just as importantly, maybe even more importantly, a fresh pouring out of that same Holy Spirit on every ear that hear, hears and every mind that is open and every heart that is softened to what it is that you want to say to the church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it wasn't uh, too long ago that I was talking with a mom about something that her son had done when he was four years old. And she was telling me that when her son was four years old, a man in their neighborhood died. And so the mom took the four-year-old son to his funeral. Now, 
Bringing a four-year-old son to a funeral, that may bring up a whole nother set of questions we have to talk about. But she brought her son to the funeral, and it was in a funeral home. And as you might imagine, because a man has died, it's a, it was a very somber, sort of quiet atmosphere in that funeral home. And the, the widow's on the front row, and she's dressed in black as she's supposed to be, and she's clutching her Kleenexes as she's supposed to do. And, and the little four-year-old boy marches right up to the widow in front of everybody, and in a voice, because come on, what four-year-old has an inside voice? In this loud voice, the little boy announces to the widow, isn't this just wonderful? Uh, and the boy's mother faints with embarrassment, and the the widow wonders, can I discipline someone else's kid? And, and if anybody had been holding dishes in that room, they would have dropped and shattered. And just the most awkward silence envelops that entire funeral home in just a moment. It just is one of the most awkward things possibly said or even mentioned or even conceived of at a funeral. And it, matter of fact, that's a long list. I don't know if you know this. Dumb things said at funeral. That is a very long list. And in fact, as, as, as a lot of you know, we, we, do, we do funerals and memorials here. And some of you've sat through them and you've been the grieving family. And out in the lobby, we do receptions. And there's been plenty of times at those receptions. I've just wanted to get a basket and a pad of paper and a pen and put a sign up if you are going to say something dumb, just write it down and drop it in the basket. <laughs> and then just when you actually greet the grieving family, just tell them that you love the person who died because that's all they need to know anyway. Amen. But to all the list of dumb things people have said at funerals, we can now add, isn't this just wonderful as, as maybe the top of the charts of dumb things said, unless, unless this thing that biblical Martha, Martha in the Bible says to Jesus also at a moment of death, though in the case of Martha, the thing that she says to Jesus at the moment of death is in the aftermath of her brother Lazarus dying. And we pick up the story in John chapter 11. Jesus hasn't yet died and risen again. That's coming later in the gospel of John. But, but what happens in this story is absolutely going to foreshadow and anticipate all of that. But in John chapter 11, Jesus, Jesus has heard that there's a Lazarus crisis. And he knows he's needed. He knows he's needed in the, in the town of Bethany. But he decides to take his sweet-natured time getting to Bethany to resolve the Lazarus crisis. That's where we pick up the story in verse 17, John chapter 11. Look at what it says. On his arrival, Jesus finally gets to Bethany. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, do you know why John gives us this detail that Lazarus was in the tomb? Not three days, not five days, four days. Well, here's why. In, in ancient Judaism of that time, and Jesus was Jewish and Lazarus was Jewish, Martha's Jewish, everybody in the story is Jewish. In ancient Judaism at the time, they believed that the soul of a person who died hovered around the dead person for three days. Waiting, I don't know, waiting for the coma to end. 
or the deep sleep to end or for the misdiagnosis to be corrected and for the person to wake up. But after four days, it, that the spirit leaves, stops hovering, it is too late. And this is John's way of saying, Lazarus, he dead. I mean, he's like, he's like dead, dead, not sleeping dead, not comatose dead, not misdiagnosed, dead, dead. Okay, and, and, and Lazarus's dead deadness. This evidently has Martha kind of stirred up because look down at verse 21 to see this unbelievably awkward thing that she says to Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And all of a sudden, do you know what she's saying? Lord, Lazarus, dead, dead Lazarus, this is your fault. I'm not accusing you of murder, Jesus, but I am accusing you of manslaughter. Because if something you didn't do, someone is now dead and my grief and Lazarus's death is on your hands. What are you going to do about it? And everybody around, because Martha didn't say this, she didn't like pull Jesus over. Right? She does it in front of everybody. And everybody there is kind of like at the funeral home. What, what she has said is, is maybe not the same kind of awkward as, isn't this just wonderful? But maybe it's a whole lot worse because she's just accused this Jesus of some kind of malfeasance and some kind of manslaughter. And so everybody hovers around. Well, how's he going to respond to this accusation? And Jesus is so chill. It's almost like he's the king of the universe or something and so calm. And his answer is this in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother, he'll rise again. And Martha answers in, in a very general, non-specific way. She says this, Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And, and, and with that answer, Martha, again, is sort of echoing the Judaism at the of the time. And they didn't have a real precise, a real specific view about the afterlife, life after death. They just believed that at the end of everything, that everybody's gonna kind of have to answer for what they'd done. And good people with some kind of measure of faith would probably be good with God at the end of everything. And bad people without any faith, they'd probably be bad with God at the end of everything. But it's all kind of general. It's all kind of vague. In our day, it would be a lot like a God of your, un uh, your understanding, but we're not gonna really press all the matters too closely. And I don't know, maybe... Maybe that's how you are when, when you think, to the degree you think about it, and, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know everything about it until I show up at church, to the degree that you think about life after death, the end of everything, what happens to everybody, and, and you're kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't want to say anything unsettling at a funeral, and I kind of mostly believe that at the end of everything, good people are going to go where good people go, and bad people are going to go where bad people go, and faith may have something to do with all that, but in general... In general, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of vague. I'm not all that precise. And, in, and in, in light of Martha's vagueness, and in light of even of your vagueness, Jesus's answer to her is, first of all, just astounding. And then it is remarkably precise and specific. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus said to her, Martha just said, yeah, 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 yeah. My, my brother Lazarus, he's, he's gonna rise at the end of everything. 
Jesus said to her, I am. And with those two words, I am. Jesus is making the most unbelievable of declarations for an ancient Jewish person. Because if you've been with us over the last few weeks and been paying attention, you know, and if you haven't been with us, I'm so glad you're here today. But anytime in ancient Israel that someone introduced themselves with this word, these words, I am, it goes back to Moses having a conversation a thousand years earlier with God. And Moses says, who should I tell the people? What should I tell the people is God's name? And God answers, I am that I am. And so Jesus comes along a thousand years later and he just starts dotting the landscape of the gospel of John. He I ams himself all over the gospel of John. It's like, I'm the light of the world and I'm the bread of life and I am the good shepherd, which is a fabulous name for a church, by the way. And all of these times that Jesus says, I am, he's saying the most sacrilegious, blasphemous thing possible. God, that's me, me, I'm God. Somehow, God has fit himself into a human body, and that human body is me. So after all that, he he goes further. I am. I'm God. And then he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, Martha, what, what you're hoping for in general terms, I embody in specific concrete terms. I don't just point the way to resurrection and life. I'm not here to teach you a better way to live. I'm not here to make bad people good. I am here to embody in my person. I am resurrection. I am life. You went all vague. I'm going all specific. And it is the most mind-blowing concept. I'm not pointing the way there. I am the way there. I am resurrection. I am life. And then his answer goes from astounding to absolutely astonishing. Because look at the promises that he makes. In verse 25, last part of verse 25, first part of verse 26. Because he stops talking about himself. And he starts talking about you. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And I don't know if you you catch on, there's, there's two promises there, and they're related, but they're not synonymous. That first promise is about what happens in life after after death to the people who belong to Jesus. And, and he's when, when he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, that, that means you die in Jesus, you are more alive after death than you ever were while you walked on earth. And that... Come on, that's good news, good shepherd. And the the second promise is about what happens after you begin to belong to Jesus while you walk the earth. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Your life will be filled with a meaning and a purpose and an altitude that comes only from beyond and it is always the gift of God. And so when you put these pieces together that that Jesus, as he always does, he starts talking about himself. I am the resurrection. I am the life. What's getting ready to happen to Lazarus's body is is just the down payment on what's going to happen to my body. And what's going to happen to my body on Easter Sunday is going to happen to the bodies of people who believe in me and belong to me. Here's where it lands us, good shepherd. Jesus rose in history so that you will rise for eternity. He he rose in a moment. He rose as an historic fact 
so that you will rise, you will have a resurrected life, not only in the here and now, but in the there and then, and that you will live a resurrected life for all of eternity. Heroes in his, this is what Easter's about. Heroes in history so that you will rise for all of eternity. And I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but it kind of helped me think about it. Back to this scene in, in John chapter 11, where, where Jesus has been accused of manslaughter because Lazarus is dead, dead, four days, dead, dead, dead. Well, a little bit later in the story, Jesus actually is able to raise Lazarus from the dead. Look what happens in verse 43 and 44 of the story. When he, meaning Jesus, had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then the dead man, you're like, yeah, I knew he's dead because you told me like 10 times already, Talbot. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amazing, miraculous, stupendous. So much like y'all remember back in January when the Buffalo Bill, Damar Hamlin, he collapsed on the floor, on the field. And, and everybody, like everybody in the whole country thought he died there on the field. And that night, the United States of America got more religious than it had been in 30 years. <laughs> and everybody, everybody was praying for Damar Hamlin to, to get up and live. And hallelujah, he did. I mean, he is a walking miracle. And this is the same thing that Lazarus is this walking out of the grave miracle, except, except Lazarus at some point later, he died again. And he, when that happened, he must've been like, well, not this again. <laughs> you know, some some people are born again and Lazarus was dead again. And yet when Lazarus died that second time, likely the only person in human history for whom that has happened, when he died that second time, he stayed dead. But not so with Jesus. When Jesus rose on Easter Sunday, he rose again never to die. And we believe that he is still alive and among us and in filling us and indwelling us and filling us with joy even to this day. You see, the Christian faith, it doesn't deny death and it doesn't uh, avoid death. It doesn't dance around death. It does something much better. It conquers death. Jesus rose in history. So you can rise for eternity. Because I don't know if you knew this, we don't have a better religion. We don't have a deeper philosophy. We have a risen savior. And because we have a risen savior, yeah. Because we have a risen savior, the great hope of the Christian faith, I don't know if you know this, the great hope of the Christian faith for all of eternity is not, everybody say not is not your soul after you die, you go to heaven and you get to fly around in the clouds as a disembodied soul playing a harp for all of eternity. That's not, that's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is the resur that what happened to Jesus's body is the trailer for what's gonna happen to yours, the coming attraction for what's gonna happen to yours. And at the end of everything, your redeemed soul will be reunited, reunited with your resurrected body. And for all of eternity, you will inhabit that kind of body, a body which cancer cannot attack, 
a dancer, a, a, a body with, with no joint pain, a body with no hair loss and no acne. Stop getting so personal. A body, a body that decay cannot infect. That is the ultimate hope of the Christian faith. And Jesus rose in history so that you can rise for eternity. And see, again, I don't know if you've thought about it this way. Or not, Good Shepherd. But because of that reality, because of the fact that Jesus rose in history so that you can rise for eternity, you may have come to this church doubting. You may have come to this church thinking, eh, it's not really that sophisticated to believe in the resurrection anymore. If, if Jesus did not rise, then Christianity is a fake religion built on a lie. If Jesus did not rise, everything we do every Sunday morning is an homage to a liar. But Jesus did rise, good shepherd, as evidenced by the fact that all of his first followers, they went from cowardly to courageous all of them at the point of death were, were given the opportunity, deny the Savior, deny Jesus, but they couldn't deny the risen Savior because they'd seen him in his risen state. And so rather than save their own neck and tell a lie, they stuck with the truth and literally lost their own neck because that's how most of them died. We know that Jesus rise because Paul, Paul goes from murderer of Christians to missionary for Christ. Why? Because he saw Jesus resurrected. We, we know that Jesus resurrected. Because the governor of New Mexico, this is generations ago, set out to write a book disproving the resurrection. And in the process of researching and writing that book, he became convinced of the truthfulness of the resurrection and ended up writing a very different book than he had planned to write. And in fact, you may have heard of the book that he wrote and the movie that they made from it. It was called Ben-Hur. Jesus rose in history. Fact, not opinion. And if you've thought, well, I'm just... Some things in the Bible offend me and Christians offend me and Talbot, you're offending me right now. <laughs> yeah, but does, all, do, do, does that mean you don't believe in that Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, no, 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 no. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he rose from the dead. Well, you know what? If he rose from the dead, if he didn't rise from the dead, you shouldn't be bothered that the things in the Bible offend you because it's all based on a lie anyway. But if he did rise from the dead, which he did, that means you take everything else in the Bible through those lens and with that eye and you will begin to see that what you thought was offensive was in, is in fact beautiful. What you thought were words of condemnation were actually words of life. Heroes in history so that you can rise for, for eternity. And all of that means Jesus can't be a little bit important. What a great shame it would be if if anybody left one of our Easter gatherings sort of partially committed to Jesus. Because you know what? Partial commitment is actually complete rejection. Jesus can't be a little bit important. And because Jesus knows he, you either got faith or you got unbelief, no neutral ground. 
And because Jesus knows that, he, he zeroes back in on Martha, who, who said, yeah, I believe in a general resurrection. And, and, and Jesus has said, no, that's me, that's me, that's me. And look what he asks her in verse 26, the very end of verse 26. Martha, do you believe this? Do you? I'm the resurrection of life. Do you believe this? And so I have to ask you, do, do you? Do, do you? Every single person in human history will have to answer that question. You, you can't follow Jesus by yourself, but you have to follow him for yourself. And we'll all be asked that question, do you believe this? And I just want you to be in practice of answering it the right way. You remember, you remember the little four-year-old boy marches into the, the funeral home and says to the grieving widow, isn't this wonderful? Well, as everybody is in this stunned silence, the boy goes from awkward to anthem himself. And he kept talking and he said to the grieving widow in a voice, because four-year-olds don't have inside voices, said to the woman in a voice everybody could hear, he's with Jesus now, you know. And the reason, yeah, from the mouths of babes, right? And the, and the reason I know that because that same four-year-old boy grew up as four-year-old boys do and became a man and moved, relocated to Charlotte. And when he came to Charlotte, he got deeply connected in the life of Good Shepherd Church and was super invested in ministry and in love and people love him at this place. And then in January of this year, at the age of 52, he died suddenly of a heart attack. And I heard the story about him as a four-year-old because his mother flew out from Oklahoma to help us plan the memorial service, which was here and talking about him. She told me what had happened, what he had said when he was four years old. And don't you know, though, that, that at that man's memorial service, which was both painful and wonderful at the same time, you know that can happen, right? Things can be deeply painful and completely wonderful at the same time at that memorial service, we were able to share what James had said when he was a four-year-old boy. Isn't he with Jesus now? And we were able to pronounce that same truth over that 52-year-old man with great assurance and with great conviction. Isn't he with Jesus now? And yes, he was. And yes, he is will we be able to say the same thing about you? You'll only have peace in this life when you know your place in the next one. And Jesus rose in history so that you could rise for all eternity. Let's pray. And as we pray, some of you may have thought that Jesus came to make bad people good or even sick people well. And the truth is he came to make dead people come alive. And this is the first time you've understood that. And you want to say yes to that Jesus even now. So as I pray, would you just whisper at your seat? Yes, Jesus. Yes. Thank you. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, that what happened to his body is the down payment on what's going to happen to yours 
for all who have said yes to the resurrection and the life. In your name we pray. Amen.